0: Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, polling says Canadians are happy with our leadership and the rollout of this vaccine. However, will that change when others are vaccinated and our supplies run low? New modeling shows that restrictions used during the first wave of the pandemic aren't necessarily working during the second wave. We'll tell you why. Many restaurants are having to pivot in order to stay afloat during this pandemic. That's led to some pretty creative ideas. We introduce you to a restaurateur who's trying something different. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Did you see that sunset last night? I thought we had just lost Ancaster. Nope. Just Mother Nature reminding us of what is important. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! Yeah, I'll take it. Good afternoon. It is 12:10 it is 9:00 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Show on the air as we w- uh, wind up week number 39 of the Scott Thompson home show. Uh, yeah, next week we're starting 40. Uh, I've been 40 for a long time. Feel free to jump into the conversation. I know it's Friday. Look, he's doing dad jokes. Uh, you're welcome, Will. Uh, feel free to jump, uh, on the conversation there. You could also send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221 star 9900 on your cell. Don't forget, it is an all request Friday. I forgot about that. Frank reminded me that it is an All Request Friday, and Frank's requesting Christmas songs already. So I got to check with Will. I got to make sure he's got the, the, you know, the key to the padlock to open up the Christmas catalog. Uh, Of course, it was open for the Blitz Day, but uh, yeah, I'm sure we can find something. Feel free, love to hear from you. All right, we uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and just kind of the mixed messaging that's come across. And I've been defending governments, both federally and provincially, for for doing a pretty good job here. And um, you know, I I don't think there's been mixed messaging as much as there's been. changing uh, situations. What they say one day is different uh, than another day, and obviously the uh, the media presses people for opinions. They give their opinion, but that's not necessarily what they just said, so that will be misconstrued, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I felt for the most part that both governments, all levels of government, municipal, provincial, and and federal, have been doing a pretty good job of, of trying to tell us where we are. However, I, I think that that has, uh, has hit a bit of a... <laughs> Uh, a roadblock here uh, when it comes to the vaccinations and when we're actually going to get them. Because as you remember, a couple of weeks ago the prime minister talked about how we wouldn't be uh, first in line because we don't uh, obviously manufacture these anymore. Uh, I think people were surprised, but have now uh, you know come to to accept that, and that the and that our first batch wouldn't be coming in until January and March, and that's six million doses enough for three million people, and then all of a sudden it changed to blammo, we got a uh, you know. A promo shipment, a surprise, a wee shipment coming in um, uh, of 249,000 that'll hopefully be here before Christmas. Uh, the initial shipment we're talking about now, uh, we're waiting for about 30,000 uh, doses, which is enough for about 15,000 people, which will then be distributed uh, distributed across the whole country. So, uh, you know, and, and in there somewhere was the messaging as well that, uh, you know, we've got a really intense, uh, Health Canada's got a really intense Uh, 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 approval system. So it may, you know, uh, we got to wait for approval and then we become second in the world to approve this uh, after clinical trials. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, blammo, we're, we're vaccinating by Tuesday, uh, which is a far cry from where we were a couple of weeks ago when the prime minister started all of this. Uh, let's bring in Daryl Brecker, CEO of Ipsos, uh, has a commentary tonight, uh, right now that you can find on our website. The Trudeau government's uh, popularity hinges on delivering the vaccines on time. Daryl, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well.
1: I'm doing just fine, Scott. Hope you are too.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Your thoughts on on what I had just said and and where we are? Because, uh, again, I've been defending governments as far as the messaging. I think people are asking questions a lot of the time that just simply cannot be answered. But this has been really confusing, to say the least.
1: Well, you know, it's very difficult for governments to to, uh, please everybody. But uh, governments across the board, uh, and we'll use Ontario as the jurisdiction, so municipally, provincially, and federally, are all getting really good grades in terms of how they performed, in terms of managing the the pandemic. Now, as I said, you're you're not going to please everybody. So a good grade, for example, for the prime minister is around 60%, which is better than he's received any time since probably 2015, 2016. And we're in the midst of a pandemic. So those numbers are actually pretty good.
0: So that being said, as your column here suggests... Uh, at this point, uh, we went from what the, the Conservatives said, which was equally as misleading, we're at the back of the line, to all of a sudden we're second in approval. Uh, how do you square that circle?
1: Well, this is what, you know basically what I was writing the commentary about, which was maybe we need to move the communications people out of the room and bring the experts back to the podium. Because um, these confusing messages you know, where the prime minister is trying to manage expectations and some of the things that he said about some of the numbers uh, did not come across as clearly as they needed to come across. And I thought particularly, you know, the answering of questions wasn't as clear as it could be, particularly in the first press conference that he held. So uh, I think, you know, it's, it's really clear that people, at least in the survey results, are telling us that the way that we're going to get past this crisis is to gain access to vaccines. So this is a critical issue that people are all watching with a laser-like focus. And they need clarity, they need facts, and they need data. And they need to know what they're going to be able to get and when. And that just did not come across as clearly as it needed to this week.
0: So is this about um, lowering expectations, under-promising, and then over-delivering? Well, it's a little hard to figure out exactly
1: what they're doing. I mean, you know, the prime minister said uh he was going to lower expectations and, you know, and then came out and said, we have access to uh 240,000 doses. Well, what's a dose? <laughs> the, yeah. the, the truth is each person who gets uh, uh, um, access to the vaccine needs two doses for it to be effective. So it's effectively half that number. So, you know, one is kind of fluffing it up a bit. And then the other side is trying to manage expectations. And, you know, uh, th- th- this has all the signs of it, of, as I said before, people with a kind of a communications type of approach trying to manage this. And, and the only communications people need right now are facts
0: uh and you know at at press conferences earlier on this week uh we did get some clarity as far as as projections but certainly no concrete numbers 40 to 50 percent of the country vaccinated by summer Uh, by the end of september most canadians vaccinated but again we don't have any definite numbers on that but you compare that to other countries who you know have said they could be finished by the uh, by April, by the end of April, by the spring, um, as you mentioned in your column, what happens then?
1: well, and this this is where it starts to get difficult, and that's why I said the approval levels of the government are really contingent on it. Uh, at uh, what they're pro- committing to right now is that they're going to get three million people vaccinated. and, all, and this is where you, you know when you sit down and you take a look at the numbers and you look at what potential demand is going to be. Uh, And you see what a problem that is. So right now, about 20% of Canadians, there's about 7.5 million people, say, if you tell me where to go, I'm going to go today and and get a vaccine. 7.5 million people. And we have 125,000 doses to the end of December. By March, we're going to have 3 million. That's not even half of the people who want it right now. And then there's another group of people who are probably about another. I think I we estimated them about 15 million people. That if the first little bit goes well, they want to get their vaccine. So we're up to you know 30 million people, 28 million people by the time we had hit March, saying I want this, and the government's saying we're going to get three million. So,
0: so our Canadian, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. So, the, I mean, the,
1: matching these things up the managing expectations is a problem. And the other part, just before you ask your question, I'll say is that everybody sort of gets that it's first responders, frontline healthcare workers, and the most vulnerable who need to have access first. Yeah. So once we get that covered off, then the really big question comes up, which is, who's next?
0: But even with this initial batch that's coming in vaccinations start Tuesday from what I understand that's thirty thousand of that initial two forty nine that's again translates to fifteen thousand shots for people across the whole country. Are people, are Canadians, and again, I, I think Canadians are are accepting of where we are for the most part, but are they comprehending these numbers and where we actually are, or are they just hearing, well, you know, some vaccination has arrived, so that's good enough for me?
1: I think right now we're, we're the second part of what you said, people are just saying, well, you know, a little flash of light at the end of the tunnel, that's great. Maybe we're going to be able to turn the corner on this and I can get back to my life. Soon what they'll move to is starting to process what all of this means. And uh, it, it really doesn't add up to doing the turn of the corner that uh, that uh, Canadians are looking for at the moment, at least not in the short term. It's going to be a real struggle through the course of this year, which is why I made the point that you know, we really need to look at the issues of supply and demand here. And there's, got, there's a ton of demand and very little supply. And unfortunately, I would say um, in, in too much of the discussion and commentary right now, I'll focus on people who are anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Yes, there's a small part part of the population that's anti-vaxxers. And I know people who particularly better educated, elite-type thinkers love to focus on pointing fingers and wagging them and telling these people off. But the truth is, they're so far down the line. We don't, we don't have to worry about yeah, them. Our exactly. real problem is dealing with the people who want it now.
0: So uh, right now, um, and, and many have said this in, in the last week or so, that uh, you know the Prime Minister has, has received an early Christmas present with this, considering where we were going. That being said, are we not heading for a crossroads here? Are we not heading, and I don't want to use a, a word this dramatic, but it's only one that comes to mind right now, are we not heading for a train wreck?
1: I wouldn't say a train wreck. I, I'd say that, you know, there's lots of opportunity here to have a conversation with Canadians that's fact based about what the reality is. And when they start understanding what it is that we're facing, uh, what we've seen through the course of this pandemic is Canadians have been pretty patient. Uh, they, you know, we've asked them to wear masks. They've worn masks. We've asked them to stay home. They've stayed home. Uh, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, asked them to wash their hands. They've done all those kinds of things. So provided we stick to the facts and we tell them what the reality is, they can kind of deal with what's going on. But the, the point I was making in the column, apart from all of this, is that I keep hearing all this speculation about a spring election, and it's like really, in this yeah. situation, wow. uh, that would be a a, a very uh, that would say I would say be be a very um, strong dealing with the communications gaps that we're seeing right now that Canadians are dealing with and the realities of uh, matching up supply and demand, and uh, that would be a really big accomplishment on behalf of the government.
0: But again, on the other hand, you can certainly see understand those trial balloons being floated, especially with popularity for the Liberals being as high as it is. And if what we are suspecting comes to pass, those numbers aren't going to stay there very long. Could they whip out an early election before uh, Canada discovers? Hey, wait a sec, we're, we you know we're not as as far up the line as we thought we were.
1: Yeah, let me just deal with the first part of that, which is that, you know the Lumber, the Liberals have a big lead. They actually don't. I mean, their approval numbers are really high, but their vote numbers are. You know, maybe three, four, five points, depending on the polls, ahead of where the conservatives are right now in terms of popularity. That's not good enough to win a majority.
0: So you said earlier, uh, what Canadians are facing? What are they facing? What 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 is on the horizon?
1: It's it's going to be a long, hard slog. And 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 you know, uh, even in the polling that we released last week for Global News. Most Canadians, like it's 73%, I think, don't think the vaccine is going to come early enough to stop the continued spread of COVID. So they know that they're in for a long, hard slog. Um, They uh, have some questions about the vaccine. Um, It's making a few people reluctant. But mostly, they really do believe that the way to get through this over the longer term is to get access to the vaccine. The question is, how are they going to be evaluating the government's performance on that? And that's yet to come. So this week was the good news. We'll see what happens as we, as we move into past the Christmas period and we move into the New Year and how, uh, how that matches up with Canadians' expectations.
0: How will we compare to the United States and Europe come spring? I mean, I've heard reports uh, in the last 24 hours that the U.S. is talking about whether it will have enough. So how are we going to compare to where these other countries are, say, come April?
1: The, the fact of the matter is we don't know. So everybody's kind of talking independently about all of this, and we don't really have a coordinated sense of who's going to have what and when. And all of this assumes that there are no issues, that there's no problems, that something doesn't emerge around, us. say, for example, the Pfizer vaccine that c- constitutes a significant problem that didn't come up during the testing. So all of this assumes that everything goes well. This is going to be a very, very difficult part of this um, of dealing with this pandemic, it may even be more difficult than what we've already been through.
0: Mm. It's certainly feeling that way. Uh, The commentary is, the Trudeau government's popularity hinges on delivering vaccines on time. It's from Daryl Berker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Daryl, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend thanks a lot new information coming in in regard to what we can hear uh coming up in the news conference which is uh, scheduled for three o'clock uh this afternoon there's been lots of concern in and around lockdown and moving to uh other regions here's what we can tell you at this point hamilton is staying in the red so it has not been listed in any of today's changes so yeah good news good news we're staying in the red Yeah. good news no not yellow yet. no we're staying in the red uh, so yeah that's, that's that's a good you know when you're dealing with what we're dealing with staying in the red is a good thing uh, but uh the the press release is saying as ontario is moving uh, regions to new levels with stronger uh public health awareness and and basically what that means is uh uh Windsor Essex County Health Unit and York Region will move into the gray lockdown so they are joining Toronto and Peel Windsor Essex and York Region is into gray moving into red Middlesex uh, Middlesex London uh, Simcoe Muskoka District well uh Wellington-Dufferin Guelph also moving into red, moving into orange is the Eastern Ontario Health Unit and yellow is Leeds Grenville uh, in that area. So uh, the good news is uh, in our area, Hamilton, we will continue to stay in the red. However, for York Region and Windsor, they will move into a gray lockdown scenario. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The latest from the Arkells, it is called Pub Crawl, and a very cool story behind all of this, and a very cool video that very much sums up uh, what the season is going to be like in the midst of a global pandemic. Joining us now to talk about all of this, lead singer for the Arkells, Max Kerman, and he is with us now. Max, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I commend you guys because you've done a couple of great things here during this pandemic to keep uh, yourselves busy and all of us uh, certainly interested in what is going on. So kudos to you for thinking outside the box. Talk about Pub Crawl and how this all came about.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, typically we think to, uh, to do a Christmas song around, uh, you know, December 15th, and by then it's way too late <laughs> because, yeah, you know, it, it takes weeks if not months uh, mm-hmm. to get a song recorded and uh, to get it to get it you know, to all the streaming platforms but because we had a little extra time on our hand um we were uh, approached by amazon uh, back in the summer asking if we could uh do a song with them and for the holiday season so we got work we got right to work on it we recorded in august and we rolled it out last month and uh yeah now we can say we have a christmas song under our belt and it's one that we think is actually good i think the christmas uh, catalog is it's pretty uh, shallow, uh, and uh, well, I think it's
0: a good one. You know, as a person who worked in hit radio for many years, and every time this, year, this time of year came around, there were some really cool Christmas songs you look forward to, and others you're going, oh, man, please not again. Yeah, That's out. funny that you mentioned that. Uh, so what is it like to record a Christmas song in the summer? Because I remember hearing other artists saying that, you know, in certain scenarios they'd even, like, get an artificial tree and bring it in just to somehow get the spirit going.
2: Yeah, I had to channel uh, the energy that I get from my friends, because uh, the song is about, you know, going on a pop girl. And uh, so I had to kind of think back, uh, you know, to our tradition. And, uh, and I had to sort of go through, you know, sort of like the photo roll on my phone. <laughs> There's some video evidence, uh, and that, that provided the inspiration in the summertime.
0: So tell everybody who hasn't seen this what it is like. What is it about? Uh, what's it about? It's a great idea.
2: Okay, so basically the song is about, you know, coming home from the holidays, catching up with old friends, and then we do the sort of 12 pubs of Christmas where we start off, uh it all takes place in Hamilton and uh you know, we'll hit the ship or odds or all the all the bars down James Street. Uh and we play credit card roulette, which essentially is everybody throws their credit card into a hat and the last two people have to pick up the bill and it's usually about 15 or 20 people. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's very sort of nerve-wracking as the cards are being pulled out because you're hoping that you don't have to pay. And some years you get away without paying at all. And some years you get dinged a couple times. But, um, yeah, that happens. It's, it's, one drink per bar typically. And we, at the end of the night, we, we get to five star, which isn't a typical bar that we would go to. But, uh, but they're, they're used to seeing us, uh, same time, same place every year. And that, that's where, that's where the crawl ends. And everyone's in particularly good spirits then.
0: It's hilarious because this video captures what it's like to be in this lockdown. There you are running through the streets by yourself, uh, cardboard cutouts of the band uh, around you. Uh, how important was it you, you, you brought that aspect of, uh, of this holiday into it?
2: Yeah, doing anything in, uh, in the pandemic is, is really hard. You have to think on, on these ideas and really work through them to make sure that they're safe, and that, um, you know, we're, we're representing all the rules. Uh, but, um, you know, we knew that we couldn't film a video with all five band members. That's like wasn't something we could do. But we were like, what if we do a photo shoot and capture, um, capture the band doing different things and do over 50 life-size cardboard cutouts of the band members so I can party with the cardboard cutouts? And that's what we did. And there was uh, a, great, um, a great printing house in Toronto uh, that whipped them up together for us. And a uh, huge shout out to Nathan Nash, the local Hamilton photographer, who took all the photos.
0: So there's 50 of these things. There's
2: 50 the cutouts? Yeah. So when you look through the video, it's like the band is doing a lot of different things. You know, they're arm wrestling. Yeah. Uh, Mike has probably about six or seven guitar poses. Uh, they're yeah. doing shots. They're drinking beer. Tony's smoking a cigar. Uh, They're throwing popcorn at each other Yeah, so there's a lot If you actually go through the video uh, There's over 50
0: So, uh, where are these now? What happened to the cutouts?
2: Uh, Some of the guys got them dropped off at their places So, like, Tony has a few Tonys in his house (laughs) Uh, Tim has a bunch of Tims Uh, Our photographer Nathan has a bunch Our manager Ashley has a few The only cardboard cutout that I got uh, There's only one of me uh, Because there's a self-referential Because it's you, yeah yeah, where Max is about to cry. You know, at the end of the night, you know, if someone kind of gets overly emotional. So I put myself in that uh, role. And so there's a picture of me crying, which is very stupid and funny. <laughs>
0: So the good news is, uh, Max, that we're, we're hearing more and more about vaccinations. Uh, we should see the most of the country vaccinated by uh, the end of September and such. Where does that leave your plans? Are you guys planning for things uh, come the fall, come the summer? What is your schedule? Yeah,
2: I mean, fingers crossed we can, you know, get to work in the summer. Uh, so that seems like the most realistic uh, goal right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, the vaccinations are rolling out next week, so we'll see how quickly everybody gets them and how everyone reacts to them. And, yeah, fingers crossed we can kind of get back to business uh, in the summer and in the fall.
0: And how can we find Pub Crawl?
2: Uh, well, you can find uh, the music uh, on Amazon Music. and You can sign up for a free subscription. Uh, it will be available on all, the, all of the platforms next year. Uh, but this year it's an exclusive to them. But you can also watch the music video on YouTube. So uh, you can find it on our socials, Arkell's Music.
0: All right, Max Kerman, lead singer with the Arcals, pub crawl their latest, uh, <laughs> great representation of what, what the holidays are like during the middle of a global pandemic. Max, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck to you. Be well. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, what else we got? Um, yeah, in regard to those lockdowns and modelling and how it just hasn't had the same effect in the second wave as it did in the first. Ontarians continue to travel and have contact with others. And so health experts say this lockdown has not been as effective as the first one in March. Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. David Williams says we need to be better. He's recommending regions move up in the province's tiered system.
3: We'll be bringing those recommendations forward to the county cabinet for a decision and we'll be making some announcements on Friday on what those are.
0: This round of modelling shows daily COVID-19 cases will continue to hit new records with ICU numbers rising. There could be anywhere from 2,500 to 10,000 new infections each day by early January.
3: You may think and a certain
4: age group it's not a big deal. It is a big deal.
0: Brianna Carnegie, Global News. All right. Yeah, it, obviously, differences uh, in the way we're reacting to this from the first wave to the second wave. To talk more about all of this, Chris Bau is with us, research chair in the Department of Applied Mathematics with the University of Waterloo and is with us now. Chris, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm well, thanks. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. S- so we saw in the numbers uh, yesterday uh, that uh, obviously I think it was around March and april we uh, we really saw uh, things curtail and and activity move downwards and then they they're comparing it to where we are now and although there's certainly not the same sort of lockdown as we were back in March, there's certainly a lot of activity. So is it that we were in total lockdown before? We're not as much now, even. Although some parts, uh, hot spots are uh, in a lockdown or red scenario, or is it uh, just the fatigue factor and um, people just aren't adhering to these policies?
3: Uh, I think it's three different things. You know, the, the first thing is that it's not as complete a lockdown as we had in March, like you mentioned. Uh, for example, schools are still open and running. Uh, the second thing is that you know there's definitely a level of fatigue that we're all feeling, which is, which is setting in. Um, And the third thing is, you know, also seasonal patterns. So um, with people spending more time uh, indoors and with shorter days, uh, you know, that's probably causing uh, more transmission as well. Uh, And also the fact that uh, we're not getting, uh, you know, for example, um, uh, vitamin D through sunshine, you know, things like that. Vitamin D is is part of the immune response um, against many viruses and probably COVID too. Um, You know, that, that might be making infections more severe.
0: Obviously, lots of chatter right now about vaccinations, but you bring up an interesting point in regard to uh, the seasons, and many people predicted this, that as we head indoors, that we would start to see cases rise, vaccination or no vaccination. Will we see the reverse happen like we did last year come spring naturally, where as you know, March, April, May, we go out, we will start to see numbers decline uh, just naturally? Do you anticipate that?
3: Yeah, I, I think so, and it might even start to happen before then. Because what we're doing in, in what we've been doing in the past couple of months is essentially like calibration calibrating an instrument, to scale or something right so so we make a little change and, and we observe what happens, and if it doesn't have the effect we want, we we tweak it it, it further, and so what we're doing with this, this color system is that well we we stay in the orange zone for for months and we see what happens, uh, and if the cases aren't going down, we, we move to red um, so you know, what I anticipate will happen is is that. Um uh even before uh, uh, March or April comes we'll we'll have hopefully found some kind of balance uh, w- whereby we're, we're in some level of, of that color category um, and and then hopefully we're we're not overwhelming our ICUs. so so uh, so hopefully the the um, curve will flatten before March or April but but it really depends on how we respond and and how good our control measures are that we implement.
0: So our most challenging uh, month at this point will be, say, January going into February?
3: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, just looking at the numbers, we're, we're approaching the 300 ICU occupancy per day that the province says, you know, makes it difficult to do other surgeries. Cases are still going up. So, I, 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 and it depends on, on what you define as, as the worst phase. You know, is it when we have most cases is it, is it when we have um, a peak in deaths or is it when we have a peak in hospitalizations? Um, so, but, but I think, you know, we're, we're definitely heading upwards in all of those outcomes in hospitalizations, ICUs and deaths. And so that will continue. Um, and it won't peak before before uh, it won't peak in December. I don't think it, 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 the earliest it would peak, I, I think, is probably January.
0: Which is about the time that apparently more vaccine uh, is scheduled to arrive, uh, 6 million doses between January and February, enough for 3 million people, uh, a, a small sample coming in prior to, to Christmas. How much of an impact will this have?
3: So it's uh, 3 million people out of, you know, 3 million Canadians is only 10%. But they are, are, are going to target the vaccine first towards uh, the people who are most vulnerable uh, um, for serious complications, starting with the long term care residents and then elderly 70 plus, uh, sorry, 80 plus and then 70 plus. So, even though the cases might be high for, for some time, uh, I, I think we'll see um, a pretty rapid impact in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, uh, assuming that they can get those 3 million people immunized uh, ASAP. Um, So that would be the silver lining and the good news that we can expect uh, uh, starting in January and February.
0: Uh, You said ASAP, we have a limited amount coming in, supposed to arrive on Tuesday. I understand, if my numbers are correct, 30,000 in that shipment, enough for, I guess, 15,000. Um uh, where we are now, considering of, of, of that, that, that problem that's obviously going to come through December, January, and February, how is this going to help us in that scenario? Uh,
3: sorry, do you mean the 15,000? The
0: yeah, the, the vaccines that are coming in now prior to Christmas, will that have much of an impact in getting us through that hump of January?
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that those numbers are, are enough to make much of a difference. Of course, they'll make a difference to whoever gets them, but, but in terms of how many elderly we have in Canada, um, uh, it's not a large number. So I don't think um, it will put a huge dent in the numbers, although it, it will certainly boost morale, and, and um, I think that's important. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that you know that we should keep in mind given how close we are to being able to to uh to see more immunization starting in january february that anything we can do to keep up our efforts a bit longer uh would would save lives uh and so you know if you can keep keep using your mask keep uh, physical distancing um try to do everything virtually online if you can all these things can uh, it can help us because uh, we've been doing this since March and we can do it a bit longer just to, to get us to, to when we can start getting more of those vulnerable groups vaccinated this January and February.
0: So in a sense, the seasons are working with us here because as slowly we we start to see these vaccines come in, uh, the, the virus should hopefully wane coming into the spring anyway.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So, So that'll be kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, perhaps even more than that, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think will we'll, things will start turning around quickly with with the um, improving uh, with the improving weather uh, and the vaccines combined. I think we'll see a, a reduction in cases um, and deaths. You know, starting in the second quarter of 2021.
0: Are you concerned about the arrival of these vaccines are you concerned that you know initially it was you know a few weeks ago we weren't sure how many where when what uh, and then all of a sudden you know we have what we have coming in prior to christmas and then uh they'll come in after that um, how concerned are you with the numbers and 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 what we seem to be seeing unfolding the information we have right now i guess
3: yeah i mean it's a great question I can't tell you I'm an expert on, on that side of it because that's more a question of, you know, logistics and delivery of the vaccines. Um, as you know, the Pfizer vaccine is hard to uh, deliver because you have to keep it at minus 70 degrees Celsius. So you need a special type of freezer for that. Uh, the Moderna vaccine is only minus 20, so that's a bit easier. Um, so, so there are these issues that will make it difficult. Um, and, you know, anything which can slow up the process is, is is, is not great, um, uh, but, you know, not being an expert in, in vaccine, you know, logics and delivery, I, I don't know um, how much I can tell you there.
0: But obviously, if, uh, and, and we're still waiting uh, for more information on the approval of the Moderna vaccine and, and where exactly it is, we, we're not sure at this point, but obviously the arrival of a second vaccine is going to help greatly.
3: Exactly, yeah, and, and there's more in the pipeline. You know, there are dozens of, of candidates, Um, in various stages of development. And and so Moderna and Pfizer won't be the last two. Um, I I think we'll see more coming through in 2021 with different properties and different cost points. Uh, And so, uh, you know, so in terms of having plenty of vaccines to to be able to administer, the situation will improve beyond just the, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines.
0: Do you think the timeline will be an issue here for Canadians? Uh, again, we're hearing places like the UK, Europe, what have you. Uh, the United States could finish vaccination by uh, late April, by spring. Are you concerned about the timeline if ours drags on?
3: I am. Yeah, and and of course it'd be great to have the vaccine now, right? Um, but even if the vaccination starts in January, February, there are there would be you know be fantastic uh, benefits uh, if it's delayed. Um, until April, I, I, for example, if that were to happen, um, I, I fear that we would have already gone through a large second wave. Uh, and you know, the, the more time goes on, the, the, the more people become infected, and, and the less, um, the fewer deaths a vaccine will prevent. Uh, we're in a really crucial window right now. We're in the middle of the second wave, and so now more than ever is it, you know it, it's really critical to start vaccinating people as soon as we can. Uh, much more than, for example, in July or August when cases will be low.
0: So obviously, um, sooner rather than later is the key here because once this does start to really reproduce in, in, in hotspot areas, at that point, it's, I've heard it's incredibly hard to control. So, um, obviously, and again, we can't, we don't really know what we're dealing with here, but obviously a, a mass vaccination where there's a whole pile coming in at once, that works better than say a slow trickle and, and vaccinating people over six months. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. What about the rest of the world? Will we all have these issues? I mean, we're still, we're, we're even hearing uh, shortages in the United States that 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 are a possibility. Do you do you see this continuing uh, right through the summer, or do you think by the time we hit summer, things will have settled down a bit?
3: I think, in terms of of you know Canada, because of the climate and the fact that we do have vaccines on the horizon, things will be quiet for for Canada in, in the summer. I don't know if we'll have immunized everyone by then, but, but the cases will definitely be low. So we'll have another um, another break, another breathing space. For many other countries, especially lower-income countries that haven't been able to purchase that many vaccines, they're still going to be in the thick of it. Um, and so they're going to need low-cost vaccines um, uh, manufactured to f- sufficient scale to protect their populations. Um, so globally, this this will be an ongoing challenge. I think Canada, uh, you know, being one of the wealthier countries, is, is one of the first access vaccines, and that's you know working in our favor.
0: We certainly have way more than we do populations. so chances are we'll be helping out in in donating some of those over uh, over the period of time. Um, so the, the the government have said by the end of September they hope to have most. Of Canadians vaccinated, what that number is, not sure, but most, that sounds promising. So, what will life look like in September? Kids will be going back to school, students back to university. We remember the situation with learning from home and, and kids not going to residence. What will life be like in September if that is the case and the majority of Canadians are vaccinated by September?
3: Well, I think life will be basically back to normal. Uh, and, you know, we can go to dinners, we can. Um, suicide with our friends. I think the only change, substantive change, will be that you know possibly we may, we ha- we may have to keep on uh, vaccinating against COVID going forward in the same way that we do influenza. It's too hard to know. It's too early to know that for sure because we don't know how quickly the virus uh, will evolve. It might be uh, only necessary to vaccinate every couple of years. We're not really sure what will happen over you know two or three or four years, uh, but definitely you know if we can immunize. Uh, Enough Canadians by September, then we'll we'll be out of the woods for the time being, um, and uh, life can go back to normal. Uh,
0: Getting back to the modeling numbers, the projection numbers, are you surprised where we where we are? Are you surprised at what you saw yesterday?
3: No, not really. Um, You know, I've been following the numbers for some time now, and um, these these projections are kind of uh, most of them are 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 what I expect to see as well, and, and. and what our own models have been predicting. Um, So, uh, you know, the gist of these slides from yesterday are that, uh, you know, we're going to expect deaths to increase um, and cases to increase. The only thing I had questions about was the percent positive cases. The slides claim that the percent positive cases have have plateaued. In other words, that's a percentage of of swabs that that come back positive for for COVID-19. Uh, and the slides claim that well these are flattened, but I think this is actually just an artifact of of, of expanded testing in the past couple of weeks. Um, so I don't think that's a real effect. I, th- I think the the, per- the actual percent positive, um, uh, if you adjust for that testing volume, uh, is still uh, probably uh, increasing.
0: Say September, as you uh, suggested, we could be back to whatever the new normal is. As we look back on this, what are we going to learn? <laughs>
3: Uh, that's a that's a great question. I don't know if I can answer that as an expert, but, uh, you know, I can speak as uh, just as an individual. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, I think one thing we've learned is that our society by and large is, is willing to protect our vulnerable, uh, which was you know something maybe we wouldn't have um, taken for granted at the start of the pandemic, uh, uh, you know, Canadians really did put their efforts into social distancing uh, and hand washing and mask wearing, at, at least most of us did most of the time, uh, to protect those who are much more vulnerable to COVID. So that's one lesson that we can do this. Uh, another lesson is that, you know, we, we, we don't want it to happen again. And how do we do that? Well, we have to be more proactive. Uh, these pandemics, um, we, they will happen again. Uh, as, as long as there are these opportunities for these viruses to jump from animal populations to humans. So we really have to be more proactive, and, and, and the best way to avoid this, this catastrophe uh, is to prevent these uh, events from happening in the first place. And what that means in concrete practice is regulations on live animal markets, um, uh, addressing poverty uh, in countries where people have to rely on bushmeat collected from the wild in order to survive, Uh, there are very concrete, actionable things that we can do to prevent future pandemics, and and, and I I really hope we take them seriously this time.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that, Chris, because that was chatted about perhaps in the first few weeks of this pandemic and has really not been talked about uh, since then. And again, many have said this is an exact same situation that has transpired as we saw with SARS. So will there be focus on that? Will China be held to account for that? Will will things have to improve there?
3: Yeah, I think things will have to improve there. And I hope we just don't forget about it. And and Go on with life as normal because, you know, like I said, it will continue happening. I don't know when, but it, it will happen eventually. Um, and it's not just China; it's um, it's pretty much any opportunity where there's underdeveloped in the worlds, yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah where there's um, and even this live animal market. So this isn't necessarily uh, a, a low income issue. It's just that some sometimes people like to see the animals that they're shopping for when they're at the yeah. in their live as being packaged in cellophane. So that's partly, um, you know, that's partly uh, not a question of uh, income or economics, but culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, of course, just one possible source. Uh, like I said, bushmeat is another source, and this is kind of a survival issue, that people have to go hunting in the wild and, and they trap animals in the forest to feed their family. Um, so so there are many possible sources, and that's just one of them. Uh, but all of them are opportunities for a pandemic. Um, and, you know, we have to co- collectively... Uh, as a world address them because what happens in one country
0: affects every country. Yes, it certainly does in 2020, doesn't it? Chris Bow has been with us, Research Chair in the Department of Applied Mathematics for the University of Waterloo. Fascinating discussion, Chris. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast On 900 CHML Alright, uh, as we continue Through the show and as we get closer to Christmas We're going to try to highlight as many uh, Eating establishments and restaurants as we can uh, In the Hamilton area Simply because uh, obviously these establishments Are, are hurting And uh, this time of year is when they, they do uh, The bulk of their business You know, Holiday parties, Christmas parties, what have you And obviously a lot of that very much curbed uh, Now, however, the good news Is today that uh, Hamilton Is staying in the red. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's good news for us. Uh, staying in the red, well, um, I believe it is uh, Windsor and York Region that are uh, moving into a gray lockdown scenario. And uh, that is joining Toronto and Peel as well. But the good news, Hamilton, uh, for the time being, staying out of that and uh, into the red, which at least allows uh, allows for a certain amount of uh, movement. Let's bring in Anish Servastava. He is part owner Unique Restaurant Group and is with us now. Anish, thanks. Thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well.
5: Doing great, Scott. Good to talk to you. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. You? You making out?
5: Making out okay. Live to uh, fight another week, as you mentioned, not going into lockdown just yet.
0: How antsy were you guys? Was everybody sitting on their edge of their seat waiting for this announcement?
5: Yeah, a little bit. I I mean, I still feel it's inevitable that it's going to come, but... You know, it's still even though you know to your to your opening, even though we don't have the holiday parties and the capacity restrictions, this is still a time of year that um, you know people are looking to get takeout and they're busy and they're they're still coming out to the restaurant. So uh, every little bit helps right now.
0: All right, so tell us what unique a restaurant group encompasses.
5: So we we operate um, three restaurants right now in Hamilton, the Powerhouse and Stony Creek, South Coast Fifty Three in Ancaster. Uh, and the Pheasant Plucker downtown. Uh, and then we have another two in Burlington, uh, the Dickens pub and Pluckers, uh, wing crab shack. Um, and then we just actually, you know, as we talk a lot about pivoting and, and trying new things, we actually just launched a, uh, ghost kitchen concept, uh, which is a smokehouse uh, concept out of one of our locations, which is exclusively for delivery and takeout only. There's no, there's no dine-in option.
0: Um, So so this sounds very interesting. Ghost kitchen. So what is this all about? How does this work?
5: So ultimately, it's the the idea started down in the the States where people were renting cheap industrial space and just doing, you know, 30 different restaurant concepts or food concepts out of one kitchen just for for the delivery apps. Um, We looked at it a bit differently, which was as more restrictions have come in and we have uh, ultimately a lot of idle capacity in our kitchen, you know, when you can only have 10 people for dine in. And takeout can only, you know, at least for us, is only so much for a business. It gives us the ability to execute a different uh, menu out of that same kitchen. And so we, um, uh, you know, our, our executive chef, myself, my partner, we just all have a passion for for smoking, smokers, and smoking meats and barbecue and things like that. And so we decided to do this limited concept. It's about uh, 20 menu items. Um, you know, like a smoked brisket, a smoked pork belly, smoked chicken drums uh, and ribs, along with sides and things like that. And uh, you can pick it up or most of our business right now is actually going through the delivery apps, but allows us to, you know, retain staff and also drive some incremental margin and in revenue that we wouldn't otherwise have with that idle capacity.
0: Has this captured the interest of clients? What's the response been like? We're, we're in week three.
5: Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been... Um, pretty positive so far it's uh, you know we're kind of still in that soft launch phase where we haven't done a, a lot of marketing Really can't afford to do a lot of marketing around it right now but as people are becoming aware of it and trying it um, we've been getting some pretty positive reviews and we're going to roll it out in, in Burlington uh, next weekend out of another one of our uh, locations another one of our kitchens and so, uh,
0: see so how, it does there. how does this work what's what's the idea here
5: so basically, we you, you, we have an existing. So the one we're doing in Hamilton is out of the powerhouse in Stony Creek. We have our, our menu that you would normally have at Stony Creek, right? Then what we did was we put together um, uh, basically a new restaurant. It was called Smoked by the Powerhouse. We set that up on Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, and online. You know, set up a website and set up online ordering. Um, and people can basically, if you want, you know, smokehouse quality. Uh, meats or dinners or, or whatnot. Um, you go, you place your order, and it you know, it comes to third-party delivery, you come down and pick it up. Uh, but it's not something we offer within the restaurant because it's so different from the, the concept that, that the restaurant really is.
0: So, she so really,
5: kitchen to do something different.
0: Yeah, and what you know, it seems that when this pandemic started, it was about okay, how do we get this restaurant food to people? In other words, how do we can you know how do we uh, uh, pivot the, the 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 template we have and make it work in this scenario? Whereas this seems to be set up just for this, where this is aiding in you putting on your own dinner, so to speak.
5: It's yeah. I mean, one of the big things I would say is a lot of the stuff. That um, restaurants have done to kind of make up the shortfall of of having capacity and and other you know social distancing requirements and things like that. Um, to me, for the for I would say for the majority of the industry, these have been singles and not home runs, right? So yeah. um, you know, you, you, everyone talks about uh, well, you could offer grocery, you could offer meal kits, you can offer cocktail kits. You know, the government's allowing alcohol takeout. None of those are home runs, so and they all have their own their own issues. Yeah. You know, the alcohol one is is headed in the right direction, but as long as we pay the same price as you pay as the LCBO, well, then yeah. where's where's the margin? It doesn't work, right? So none of these are are have home run potential. There are a lot of work, you know. I talk about meal kits with a lot of other people in the industry. Um, you can to to develop a meal kit. Um there's a lot of work and it doesn't matter if you sell one or if you sell a thousand, if you know what I mean. So, so, yeah. and, and no one's selling a 1, thousand there. It's, it's all, you know, odds and ends. What this allows us to do is basically launch a, a second restaurant, if you will um, you know, with its own menu without incurring extra overhead. You know, we're already in the building. We already have the staff. We already have we're paying for our utilities, all that kind of stuff. And really drive incremental margin and incremental profit through a new concept, which and I can tell you right now the first 3 weeks we did more sales through this concept than we did through alcohol takeout or or meal kits or any of the other things we mm. tried to date right so we're we're kind of excited about it but you know but we also don't know how long you, you know once things once things return to normal the kitchen probably can't handle two different concepts so we'll right. see what we do with it at that point right
0: you know, many we've talked many times on the show about how life will change post COVID nineteen. Do you think this is one of those things that could continue, or is there a hybrid version of this once it's all over and you are back to normal?
5: Hundred percent. And and this was probably something that was starting even before COVID. Um, I know of, and I can't remember the name, but pre COVID, I I got wind of a, I don't know if it's a guy or a company, but down in California. Who rented an industrial warehouse and launched over the the, past, the, the previous mm-hmm. twelve months, uh, I think thirty-five different restaurant concepts out of one building, all for delivery.
0: Wow! Right, it's so, a great idea. And totally and totally centers around a pandemic template, which is great as opposed to trying to fit a a square peg in a round hole. The only problem is here there's no R&D here. You're just kind of winging it as you go. What a great idea, Anish, and uh, another example of how the restaurants in Hamilton are trying to pivot and be nimble and uh, make something happen during this uh, COVID-19 global pandemic. Anish Servastava has been with his unique restaurant group. Anish, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. Good luck with this.
5: Thanks, Scott. Take
0: care. Oh, one more thing, Anish. So if we want to find out more about Ghost Kitchen, where can we go?
5: Um, Go to um, www.smokedbypowerhouse.ca.
0: Smokedbypowerhouse.ca. Smokedbypowerhouse.ca. Anish, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900CHML. Let's bring in Reverend Jim Carrier from uh, Good Shepherd Church in Saint Catharines. He is with us now. Jimmy, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you feeling this week? As we, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks out before we are uh, on the big day. Uh, what's the attitude around the congregation?
4: Uh, the attitude is is quite positive. I mean, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna do our Christmas thing. We're not gonna have a candlelight service, but we will have a service uh, early in the morning Christmas Eve at about ten o'clock. And uh, so we, we're we're kind of doing what 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 we should be doing, uh, of course, within precautions. But uh, uh, the main the main the main thing is is we usually have a Christmas concert. We usually have a Christmas luncheon. So we have all kinds of things that we're not doing this year. So I think people are a little. Uh, disappointed about that, but I think the overall general feeling is that we understand, uh, they're taking care of one another, they're calling one another, so they're on top of, uh, of their relationships and whatnot. So I think it's, it's actually, uh, we're, we're in a pretty good mood, all
0: things considered. Well, so, I, so that's enough. That's enough to put us exactly, in. absolutely, and, and you know, we we talked way back when, and uh, I remember you were doing stuff on on your Facebook page. How has the response been for that? It, you doing services that way, or or offering that as an alternative?
4: Well, we we've, uh, we've actually had some people uh, listening to our services online that um, are uh, not in the region. So there's there's some folks uh, north of Toronto. Uh, we have uh, someone in Simcoe. Uh, that, that listens to us, so um, we're actually we actually have a broader reach um, online. Doesn't doesn't get people into the church, but that's okay. It gets the word out to them, and uh, so there are a lot of people that can't make it to church that are that are watching our online service. So I think it's something that we're going to continue doing even once the pandemic is over.
0: Lots of chatter uh, in regard to a vaccination uh, this week. That seems to have raised people's spirits. Uh, obviously, pretty historic week.
4: It is absolutely now. It's slow coming. It's you know it's slow flowing uh, as the case may be, but it is coming, and uh, and I think this is this is the closest I think to feeling positive that that, that we've been in a long long time, and uh, and it will be a slow process. So you know stress patience. And, you know, continue doing uh, doing what you're doing in terms of taking the precautions and uh, keep your distance and uh, and uh, only celebrate uh, with uh, with folks at home in your household do the necessary, take the necessary precautions, and by this time next year, we'll be celebrating, uh, I think we'll be celebrating Christmas together as a family. That's my hope.
0: Now, that being said, uh, uh, obviously, there is a lot of optimism surrounded by this, but we're still talking to experts who are very concerned that people will relax even a, a bit more than they already have. We're not out of the woods ne- uh, yet. Uh, is it still, do you, do you think this hope of a vaccination is going to be enough for people to, to at least keep the protocol up a little while longer?
4: Well, I'm hoping that they will. I think that mostly, um, I think I, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the closer you get to the finish line, the faster you start running, and uh, and so I I think that 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 you're right to suspect that, that people will uh, kind of let their guard down a bit because uh, because we're so close to the finish line, if you will. But uh, but the the necessary precautions, the right thing to do, is to keep the guard up. Just continue. Nothing's changed, Bill. Nothing has changed. So still, keep your guard up, uh, take the necessary precautions, do what your local health, health officials uh, ask you to do, and, and abide by those, and, and I think that we'll be okay. We're going to get through this, I and mean, we clearly are. There's no question about that now.
0: The Reverend Jim Carrier from Good Shepherd Church in St. Catharines. Make sure you check out his Facebook page. Jim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Great picture of uh, Jude, by the way. You're getting very good at the photography, Jim. I'm quite impressed with that. I uh, are you, well, not in so
4: the photography is it's the subject.
0: There you go, man. I didn't even get a chance to say it. You already did. Thank you, Jim. Be well. All right. God bless.